some of the best theology that I get sometimes, believe it or not, comes from secular television. And some of the best theology that I've ever gotten has come from the first 60 seconds of the television show Cheers. Uh, as hard as that is to believe, because it, go, it pretty much goes downhill the rest of the way. But for some reason, that first 60 seconds of Cheers has just been an absolute phenomenal uh, wealth uh, as far as a source of um, information or insight into human behavior. And uh, the particular topic that we're going to be discussing, uh, uh, it was reminiscent of a scene that took place. And uh, Cliff Clavin, who is the, uh, the mailman, um, is an interesting kind of guy. And anyway, uh, he was going to uh, do an experiment. And he was going to show Dr. Fraser Crane, who was the onboard uh, local psychiatrist or psychologist, um, the effects that can take place uh, when you tell a story and it begins to spread. And so he said, here, I'll, I'll demonstrate. And so he whispers to this guy, he goes, hey, buddy. I just won five bucks in the lottery. Pass it on. And so you see this story being spread from one person to another in the bar over and over. And you can just see it. This guy whispers, this guy, this guy whispers, this gal, this gal's whispering, this gal. It's kind of like the party, you know, the party game to see what ends up happening to the story. Well, by the time it comes all the way around the, the room, this guy nudges Cliff, who obviously started the story, and he goes, Hey, Cliff, you're not going to believe this. Some geek just won five bucks in the lottery, and he's bragging about it. So, <laughs> you know. No, I guess the point is that not every story gets distorted, but, but the reality of all of it is, is it necessarily something that we should share with one another? And uh, in this particular session, we're going to talk about gossip. Again, we're going to conclude. But uh, as we go through this, I, I think it's interesting that, that some of us don't realize what gossip is. We don't realize whether we're guilty of it. We can't identify nor recognize it. And... Uh, I get, and the bottom line that, that, that I'd like to get across, if nothing else, is how can I recognize if I'm guilty of it? Because I got enough problems of my own, and uh, if I can help you to identify in your own life, great, but I need to recognize it for my own purposes so that I'll do what's right before the Lord. So as we go through this thing, one of the interesting things as I was going and just kind of digging into it was that throughout the Bible, the gossip, uh, the terms that are used are used interchangeably. The term backbiting, the term slander, the term gossip, uh, the term uh, uh, accuser is all used interchangeably for this problem that we recognize as gossip. And I think it's interesting because all of it carries this particular idea. Gossip, backbiting, slander, accusing, all carries the idea of finding fault or criticism in another person and spreading such criticism to other parties. The idea is always to cause dissension, to cause division, and to cause us to have to make a stand or decision as to which side we will align ourselves. And I think it's interesting and how true that is if you think about the stories that are spread. It's really a, a point of, okay, whose side are you going to be on? That really is the bottom line of all of it. Take a side. Which side? Do you believe him? Do you believe her? Do you believe the person telling you? Do you believe the other person? And uh, one of the things that really struck me and caused me to wonder about this problem is the term accuser is used of those who gossip. It is also the, the same term that's used of Satan throughout the Bible. That Satan is our chief accuser. That he stands before God accusing the saints. And that he tries to do everything that he can to cause God to think differently of his people. He's trying to say, hey, look, God, I mean, look what he did with Job, for example. Hey, you know what? Look, this guy, you say this guy, is, you know, he loves you. and he, Look, I mean, you wait and see what happens when this happens to him. 
You wait to see what happens when his health goes, or you wait to see what happens when his prosperity goes and the money and all the stuff goes with it. You wait and see what happens then. And he's continually accusing the saints before God. Though God's decision or his impression of us will never change, he still is relentless nonetheless. So as, as you put all this together, you've got to ask yourself a question. When, when you become a gossiper or an accuser of another person, you become allies with our greatest enemy in destroying the people of God and the church that he has built. And isn't that fascinating insight when you think about the whole problem of gossip? How do you know if you're guilty of such an alliance? How do you know if you're working with the enemy to destroy your own people? See, because Satan tries to destroy from within. He can't attack from without, so he tries to destroy from within. And uh, as we went through last week, we saw that there are several characteristics of a person who gossips. And uh, just quickly, we saw that a person who gossips uh, likes to spread slander. They hear a story, they repeat it. They can't wait to repeat it. Even if it's true, even if it's not true, if the story's true, Cliff Clavin's a geek, all right, so do you spread the story or not? I mean, a gossip will spread it. A gossip will also reveal secrets when they're told something in confidentiality. Hey, this is just between you and I. Oh, okay, great, you know? And they begin to share what they should not share. A gossip stirs up and causes strife or sows strife. Uh, the key to understanding all these things is you've got to ask yourself a question. Are the things that I share about another person, is it to bring about healing or is it to bring about destruction and dissension? Is it to cause somebody to think less of another person? A person that causes or sows up strife is one who is always trying to cause problems between other people. A gossip also repeats a matter, whether it's true or not. A gossip also hurts their friends. If you're in a habit of repeating stories or repeating situations, ultimately will hurt a friend somewhere along the line. And, you know, the bottom line is that, that gossip, uh, we just like to hear it. Do you like to hear it? Do you like to hear the latest scoop? Do you like to hear the latest story? Do you live for that kind of stuff? If any of these things are true of your life, then according to God's standard, you or, or I am guilty of being a gossip. And we've got a problem that we need to deal with. So as you look at this whole problem of gossip, it becomes critical at this juncture to understand that gossip is a very serious problem and a very serious matter before God. Because there are always consequences that go along with gossip. And I want to take a couple minutes and explain what each one of those are. If you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 11. Proverbs, chapter 11. Some of us think that some of the things that we do are harmless. You know, no harm, no foul. You know, no blood, no harm. You know, if you can't see anybody bleeding, then there must not be any hurt. And, uh, you know, and if you've ever played any sports that kind of took that up as a rule, you know, you know what that's like. You can get hammered, battered, and bruised, but if there's no blood, there's no foul. And uh, many of us carry that attitude along in the life. Well, you know, what does this really hurt to share this story with so-and-so? Or, you know, after all, it's true. Well, so what? Even if it is true, does it mean that it's not something that necessarily should be shared? In Proverbs chapter 11, God gives us some insight into the problem of gossip as it pertains to the consequences of it. If you are a gossip, you can bet that these consequences are sure to follow. Proverbs 11, verse 9. The Bible, we, we see, The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. There in this particular pro proverb is a contrast. And the first consequence that we see of gossip is that it destroys reputations. Gossip destroys reputations. 
He contrasts, God uses a contraster. He says, the hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, destroys another person's reputation. But the opposite is through knowledge or through truth, the righteous will be delivered. So God's taking this contrast and he's saying, wait, on one side of the picture is a hypocrite. And the hypocrite is a person who knows the truth but does not share it in its entirety. Shares bits and pieces of it but doesn't want to share all of the truth because if we share the truth, then it's going to change the perception that we're trying to get across of another person. If we told them the way it really was, we'd probably all say, hey, you know what? No wonder they felt that way. No wonder they did what they did. I don't blame them. But we don't want that response, so we want to make sure that however we present this evidence, that it comes out in our favor to make the other person look bad. So the hypocrite, God says, is one who knows the truth, all of the truth, yet only shares a a portion of the truth. That's why he contrasts it, but with those who have knowledge or the truth. So the hypocrite doesn't have all of the truth, or if it does have the truth, doesn't share all the truth. Contrast it to a person who knows the truth and shares the truth. Jesus' greatest criticism on the face of this earth were for the Pharisees or the religious leaders who were hypocritical in everything that they did. He said, you know what? You paint a good picture. You're whitewashed on the outside, but you're filthy, dirty, rotten within. On one hand, you're telling people that you want to seek the truth and have a right relationship with with God. And on the other hand, every time I teach you the truth, you deny the truth and you're plotting to kill me. So you're doing one thing verbally and another thing in your heart. He says the same is true of a gossip. That we say one thing, but God knows our heart. He knows really what we're after and what we're trying to accomplish. He knows we're trying to destroy people in the process, not build them up and not heal them. So the Bible tells us that the consequences of gossip are that we can destroy another person's reputation by carelessly sharing misinformation, by carelessly sharing half-truths, by carelessly sharing a story that we heard in passing that we didn't take the time to investigate to see whether all the facts are really known. And once that story begins to be spread, you can't stop it, you can't control it because you don't know who that person that you tell is going to tell. And when you later find out what you told was wrong and you go to that person, then they're stuck trying to figure out who they told and it's just an absolute nightmare. And you know what happens in the process? Your your reputation or the person that you're talking about, their reputation is destroyed and they can't do anything about it. It's interesting, uh, Larry uh, had a client who a couple of years ago, he was trying to invite to come to the class. And uh, he made the mistake of of telling them that I taught it. (laughs) I don't know why that he even bring it up. But he was just saying, hey, blah, 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 blah. And this guy out of nowhere says, man, you know what? Isn't he the guy that cheats in Little League in Villa Park? <laughs> True. I mean, well, how many other Chuck Obremskis can there be? You know? And, uh, and Larry said, well, gee, you know, what do you mean? And we had gone through this whole ugly process of a, a, a rule that was very difficult. It needed clarification. And it was about how much time the kids were supposed to play. And if they didn't play in this particular game, then they had to start the next game. And if they didn't get in a bat, then they started the next one. Anyway, make a long story short, all of those things were followed according to the rules. But there was one mom who felt that since her son didn't play as much as she thought he should have played, that if he didn't play more, that it must be some reflection of genes or heredity or something. And she took it personally. And uh, so what she did was she just proceeded to slam me to anybody that would listen. And man, you talk about it. And it's been going, this is the seventh year I've done this, and every year it's the same thing. And I can't wait to see what I'm going to become at the end of this season. But... uh, But the bottom line was there was a lady that went around and she slammed me because I cheated. Well, how did I cheat? But she didn't explain. Well, actually, he followed the rules, but he didn't play as much as I thought he should have played my kid and blah, blah, blah. Well, that doesn't make as good a story. 
then this guy's a jerk. That makes a great story. And if you can tell the next person, it even gets better. And as it goes down the line, before you know it, somebody's sitting in someone's office and they're saying, what would I go listen to that guy for? He cheats in Little League. And that's a good point. Why would they if that was true? And so the bottom line as you go through all this is, you know, it's very difficult once a story gets started, if you perpetuate that story, to stop it. It does. And you know what? And people still love you anyway. And that's the amazing thing about the family of God. Amen. But it does, you know. The truth, the truth doesn't travel very fast, but half-truth travels faster than the speed of light. And uh, so as we go through this, we need to understand there are consequences to gossip or sharing stories. Another illustration from my own personal life, uh, five years, or 1988, I was fired uh, from my job uh, for holding, <laughs> silly enough, trying to hold the guy who owned the company accountable to some of the promises that he made to our creditors, and uh, he fired me. And the interesting thing was that my Christian friends were the ones who questioned why I was fired, more so than people in the industry that knew me that weren't Christians that knew that I didn't do anything. It was my Christian friends who went around saying, gee, you know what, I heard he stole money. I heard he did this. I heard... You know why? Because people don't get fired for their jobs for doing the right thing. And until I got fired, I believed that too. So I learned a lesson. It was like, you know, you can't get fired for doing what's right. You want to get fired for being a flake. And so all of a sudden, I'm entertaining all these phone calls. Hey, man, you know what they're saying about you? Who are they and what are they saying? Well, they're saying you stole money. Well... I mean, how long have you known me? Well, I've known you 15 years. Well, do you think I did it? Well, no. <laughs> Man, there was some comfort there, wasn't there? It's like, well, huh? Thanks. Thank you very much. I mean, that was some of the most hurtful things that I've ever gone through. People that know you would even think it. When other people say, you know what? I, I told him that he's thinking that's and all you got to do is look at the evidence and look at the two people and you understand what's going on. And yet you go through this whole process and you begin to realize, man, you know what? The point is that the truth oftentimes will never be revealed this side of heaven. And only God knows what it is. And the bottom line is that we need to understand that the consequences of gossip are that we destroy a person's reputation. Whether we're trying to or not. Whether we're malicious and don't even know it. Or whether we're not trying to and we do it by sharing a story that has no business being shared to another person. The consequences of gossip. Once the story starts, you can't stop it and you don't know what it's going to turn out to be. And we need to be careful of that. You know, and if you've ever been harmed by stories like that, and it was a very hurtful time in my life having to deal through all that, but there was one statement that, that I remember reading and I wrote it down and I've never forgotten it. And maybe this will help you. It says, Your reputation is what people think you are. Your character is what God knows you to be. And while we can't do much to control our reputation, we can do a whole bunch as far as our character is concerned. And that's, and that's very helpful. That was helpful to me. Maybe it will be helpful to you. God knows our heart. And He knows our character. And all the rest of us, man, and you'll spend the rest of your life trying to answer questions and rumors and problems and trying to be what other people want you to be. And you might as well not even waste your time. You just do what's right before God and you'll never have to worry about it. Number two, second consequence. You know, have you ever had a problem with a friend and you can't really figure out or put a, you know, kind of put a finger on what's going on but you can just sense some tension and you don't really know what's happening and you just can't figure it all out? 
After going through this and reading it, I believe that many of us have experienced um, a separation or deterioration in our friendship because of gossip that has been shared. Someone, somewhere along the line, told another person about you, something about you, whether it was true or not true, and it has distanced your relationship, it has forced a deterioration in your friendship, and you can't figure out what it is. And I'll bet you, having studied this and looked at it, um, that the possibility exists that it was because someone told a story about you. Proverbs 16, 8, 28 says, A whisperer or a gossiper separates the best of friends. The one who repeats a matter, Proverbs 17.9, the one who repeats a matter separates the best of friends. You know, there's a couple possibilities here. One is, is that you or I am guilty of sharing a story about a friend of ours and it causes friction in that relationship. And the other possibility exists that a third party enters into it and tells someone about you or your friend about you. Did you know that she said this about you? Did you know he said this about you? Did you know they did this and this? Blah, blah? And before you know it, the bottom line is is that there's, a, there's a, a faction or a dissension or deterioration in the friendship. The consequences of not understanding the danger of sharing stories and that type of thing is that we will separate and destroy friendship. We need to understand that's true. And we need to really examine our hearts to find out if we've destroyed the friendship of other people by sharing situations with them that maybe we shouldn't have shared. And it's interesting as we go through this. Now, you know, we need to understand. Yeah, we'll, we'll understand in a second. I don't want to talk about it right now. Yeah, never mind. Strike that from the record. All right. Number three. Look at Proverbs 25.23. Proverbs 25.23. Another consequence of gossip is anger. It says, The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting, there we go, there's an interchangeable word that's used, and a backbiting or slandering or gossip, a gossiping tongue and angry countenance. One of the consequences of gossip is that we cause anger. We will cause anger. You know, rumors, half-truths, stories that shouldn't be told to other people, uh, things that we tell to one another in confidence that are shared will cause anger. And rightfully so. And God doesn't say that this anger is not justified. In fact, it is justified. If you violate my confidence, I am going to be angry at you for doing so. Why? Because you told me that you would be confidential about it. And if you violate that trust, I have every right to be angry at you. If you tell a half-truth or a story about me that's not correct, nor have you examined it to find out whether it is true, I have every right to be angry with you. And I'm not going to let you off the hook. And your friends shouldn't either. We need to hold one another accountable to the truth and to protect one another and defend one another. My reputation is very important to me. Because it's our reputation that precedes us everywhere that we go. It's our reputation as Christians that is a mark of our integrity in our community. It's very important to me that if you portray me in a certain way, that what you portray is accurate. And if it's not right, then I need to change. But if it is wrong what you portray, then I have every right to jump down your throat and tell you what I think. And I'm going to. Let me give you an example. A couple months ago, I had lunch with one of the pastors of our church. 
And throughout this process, and we were there for another reason, and uh, one of the guys that we met with left, and he said, hey, I just want to share with you something that, uh, that I think you should know. I said, okay. He goes, you know, the perception of you and Kindred Fellowship is that you don't support the church. I said, okay, let's talk about it. I said, why is that? I said, well, because over the last nine or ten years or so, and you've been nominated for a board, or whatever the board position was, you've turned it down. I said, that's true. And anybody has called, I've explained to them in detail why I've turned it down. But for your benefit, I'm going to explain it to you. So number one, I've got a business to run. Number two, I've got a family to manage. Number three, I teach a class and I've done so consistently for nine years. Number four, I've got a ministry with the Rams. Number five, I coach Little League. So it's like, and you go through the list. And you know what? For me to take this position as honoring as it is, I would have to stop doing one of those things in which I feel God has gifted me to do several of them and called me to do in other cases. So it's not that I'm not a team player, but I don't have time to do it. And uh, so not only that, but the last committee that I served on, I had the desire to kill three people on the committee. (laughs) And I can't find anywhere in 1 Timothy 3 that that's a qualification for a leadership position. So I just don't think it'd be right. It was like when I first became a Christian, they had me doing children's church. (laughs) Children's church. There wouldn't be any adults to teach if I was doing children's church. So anyway, so that was one. Well, the second one was, well, why else am I not a team player? Well, because you don't go to the second service. So, well, okay, during football season, I got chapel before, I teach the class, and then we've got a game after. I, I don't know how I can squeeze it all in. And besides, you know, if it's going to continue to go till 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I mean, not a whole bunch of people are excited about going for six hours straight. So anyway, so we had that conversation, and hopefully something good came out of it, and, the, and some of the, the times changed. But... The point was very simple. And uh, so then I went down through the list. I said, you know what? You brought this up, and I'm glad you did. For nine years, we've had the largest percentage of people in this class that have been involved in ministry in Calvary Church. For the last nine years, we've encouraged people to be involved in ministry, and people have answered that call. We've got more people involved in shepherd groups than every other class in this church. We've got more people who contribute financially to this church. I've stood from this podium, and I've supported the Board of Elders on what happened with Pastor Hawking, and I'm still in support of what had taken place. I said, I went down through the list, and by then, I'm ranting and raving, you know? I said, you know, in one year we had a room that sat uh, 225 people and one of the pastors who's no longer here didn't like the fact that the class grew so big so they only set up 175 chairs. We've been moved from room to room, time to time, and we've gone along with the program. I've never voiced any complaint. I've I've just gone along with it because God is in it. Then who can be against it? And it doesn't matter where we meet, what time we meet, whatever. If the truth is being taught, people are going to show up. So the bottom line was, as we go through all of this stuff, I said, you know what, I am not going to apologize for that to you or anybody else. If you think that's not supporting the church, you need to define it for me. And and this is what he says, you don't have to get so mad about it. (laughs) I said, you know what, it just absolutely frustrates me to no end that I would even be challenged on that when you look objectively at the evidence and the thing that bugs me more than anything is whoever they are, whoever they are, and they may not even exist and it may have just been his perception but he wanted to veil it with a they. So whoever they are, have them call us. 
Have them call me. I'm not hiding from anybody. You know where to reach me. If you've got a problem, then call me and let's talk about it. And the thing that bugs me more than anything is that we hide behind whatever the veil is, whether it's a board or a staff position or whatever, this, this veil of Christianity that's a bunch of crap and that's all that it is to get bitterness and jealousy and envy and all the rest of the garbage so that we can destroy one another instead of defending each other. Instead of saying, praise God for what's going on, we start slamming each other. And this isn't to slam him, but this is to make a general perception of the problem that we have and that Christians are the only army in the world that shoot its wounded. Wonder why that's not attractive to the world we live in. I don't know. And then somebody says, well, don't get angry about it. I'm going to get angry about it. Don't be so stupid. You know, gee whiz, let's look at the consequences of it. That's a consequence. And you know what else the consequence is? Instead of someone, whoever they are, instead of them defending us and saying, you know what, I know the people that are in there. I know what they've been doing. I know how they love each other. I know the shepherd groups. I know what's been going on. I know what's being taught there. Hey, you know, instead of saying that can't even be true because I know what's happening, you got a bunch of snivelly little people that hide in the committee that begin to say things and share among one another, and they're guilty of sin before God, and I don't care what committee they're on. And you need to address that. We need to deal with that. And we need to be just as sensitive to it because we are just as guilty pointing fingers at other people and we shouldn't do that either. We need to learn to defend one another instead of being in such a hurry to destroy and to condemn and to criticize. I feel better. Thank you. Man, my... My heart's racing, though, Doc. Anyway, but, but, that's, but, see, but that's the point. I mean, the point is, it's all gossip, and it's all garbage, and it's all wrong before God. And God's people are just as guilty as the world that we live in. And you know what the sad thing is, and I guess what frustrates me more than anything? There's not much of a difference anymore between God's people and the world around them. God help us is right. And you know what? I'm getting sick of it. We need to start walking what we're talking. Or these are the consequences that we experience. And let me tell you another thing. is, <laughs> Here's a consequence that none of us will get away from. God says He will punish us if we're gossips. He will punish us. Psalm 101.5 Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not allow to endure. See, God knows our heart. He knows what we're doing. He knows whether we're really trying to be constructive or destroy someone else. And God help us whenever we destroy the ministry of another person because of whatever the petty jealousies or envies are or all the rest of the garbage that goes along with it because God's doing something through another person or a group of people or through a shepherd group or whatever. We need to be sensitive to this and we need to understand, hey, praise God for what's going on. I'm glad that that's happening. Praise God for all of it because God's behind it. And get out of the way and stop trying to be a stumbling block from the work of God. Or God will stink and smack us upside our head. God will not allow it to take place. Proverbs 9, 5. It says, A false witness will not go unpunished. You spread stories that aren't true, God will punish you. And he, he who speaks lies will not escape. They shall perish. If you lie and, you, and you, you spread stories about other people and you slander the name of another person, whether it's good intention or bad intention or whatever, whether you spread a story, just stop doing it because you're putting yourself in a high-risk group. And that is that you are risking the punishment of God. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it rolled back on him. 
Do not malign a servant to his master, lest he curse you, and you be found guilty. Man, I mean, that's enough reason for me just to stop talking about other people. Now, the interesting thing is, we're going to have a lot of free time on our hands. So, what are we going to do with all that free time? Well, here's what we'll do. How about the control of gossip? How do we control it? Number one, it starts with a desire. It starts with a desire. You have to want to control the problem of gossip in your life. You have to have a desire, number one, to protect the reputation of another person. If we're to control gossip, we must have a desire to protect the reputation of those around us. Now, listen to me. I'm not advocating concealing sin. I'm not advocating non-accountability to one another. I'm not advocating any of that. And what has happened in the past in the history of the church is, is that we have hidden the sins of one another to protect this image that we have before the world. And when that sin is exposed, then the whole system looks like it's a bunch of hogwash and there's nothing attractive about it at all. I'm not advocating concealing sin nor accountability to one another. But what I am advocating, according to Scripture, is, is that hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. And he who is faithful spirit conceals a matter. Proverbs 10, 12, and 13. There are some things that we need to learn that do not deserve to be shared with anybody else. If it's a question of ongoing sin, that sin needs to be confronted. And God has tremendous programs and policies laid out through Scripture. Uh, Matthew 18, a great example. If you know somebody who's sinning, you go confront them by yourself. If they don't listen to you, take two people with you. And if they don't listen, take some more people. And if that doesn't listen, then you take it before the church. The bottom line of confrontation is to bring about restoration. And let me tell you something. We need to have a desire to protect the reputation of one another. And let me give you some insight as to why. We live in a world that is becoming increasingly hostile to Christians and Judeo-Christian principles. And let me just give you an insight that I hope will help all of us. If you and I don't start to protect the reputation of one another, you know what? Some of us, we don't get along. We're different. We have different things that make us tick, and we need to learn to be agreeable in our disagreements. But let me tell you something. We are all still family if you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're in the same army. We're in the same battle. And we're fighting the same enemy. And let me tell you what I believe we need to be doing more of. And that is we need to be defending one another and our reputation before a world that hates us. Instead of ripping each other apart, let's start building each other up. There's our unique idea, huh? Instead of shooting our wounded, let's bandage them up and send them back out on the battlefield. Let's realize none of us are perfect, but we're forgiven if we know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And that's the only qualification that puts us all into the same family to begin with. For those who believe in His name, they have the right to become children of God. That's it. That's the only way you get in. All right? So none of us are better than one another. We need to help each other to become more Christ-like in our behavior. But we better have a desire to protect the reputation of one another. Not at the expense of truth, mind you but to protect one another. Number two, we also need to have a desire to forgive one another. To forgive. If you're going to control gossip, you must have a desire, a strong desire, to learn to forgive those who have hurt you. Obviously, this doesn't exclude confrontation. It doesn't exclude accountability. It doesn't mean that if you're harmed or sinned against that you should just ignore it and God will judge and who cares, blah, blah, blah. That's an easier, that's an easier attitude to take than actually confronting and dealing with the person because you care about enough of them to confront them on their sin. 
We have to have a desire to forgive, to overlook a transgression. Proverbs 19.11, The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and it is to his glory to overlook a transgression. Many rumors and gossip are fueled by hurt and resentment. Many of us have been harmed by one another, so we seek a way to get even with each other by destroying one another's reputation. We don't want people to like the person that hurt us, so we do everything that we can to make sure we, we let everybody know how, what a jerk they are. And God says, you know what? It's to the glory of a person who can overlook a transgression and to learn to forgive when they're wronged by someone else. Hey, we all have bad hair days. You know what I mean? Well, some of us haven't had a bad hair day in a long time. But, um, but on the other hand, but you know what I'm saying, none of us are perfect. We all mess up. And we need to be quick to forgive and have a desire to forgive. Hey, you know, someone comes and says, man, I'm really sorry for what I did. Hey, you know what? That's okay. I'm all messed up too. And you know what? And I appreciate you recognizing what you did. I appreciate you recognizing the fact that it hurt me and that you've come to me and you've confronted me. And I appreciate that. And thank you. And I forgive you. We need to be quick to do that. Now, if that same person keeps doing the same thing, then we also need to be quick to confront and say, look, you know what? Forgiveness is one thing, but it's all predicated on repentance too. And confession. You don't have to agree that what you're doing is wrong. Just don't give me that flip and forgive me thing if you don't mean it and you keep doing the same thing. So there's a healthy challenge there in how we're to respond to one another. But we need to be quicker to forgive. Number three, we also have to have a desire to know the truth. In order to control gossip, we must have the desire to know the truth, as they say, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I just need to know the truth in order to come up with a game plan that will bring about restoration. I don't want a half-truth. I don't want to hear your story. I don't want to hear everything. I want to just examine all the evidence before I come to any conclusions. Proverbs 15, 14. The heart of a man has understanding, seeks truth, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. If you have a heart of understanding, according to the Bible, you will seek the truth in every situation. Number four, if you want to control gossip, you also have a desire to heal and not destroy. A desire to mend the situation and not to destroy the lives of the people that are involved. Gossip hurts. You know, I shared with you the things that have gone on in my life. It hurts. Gossip hurts. Stories hurt. Rumors hurt. Hey, you know what? Words are hurtful. They can destroy more than a punch to the side of the head. You know, I've been hit harder and it hasn't hurt as bad as somebody saying something about me that isn't true. Words can destroy people's lives. And we need to be, as God's people, in a position and a desire to heal hurts to mend a broken hearts, to set the record straight. When someone says, did you hear about so-and-so? You can say, yeah, but you know what's great? Is that I know her, and I know that she's not satisfied in what's going on in her life. And I know that she's, she's praying for help, and I know that she's trying in every way. Like the friend that I shared that said that you know, she grew up in a family that they lied all the time, and it became a habit. And she realized and was convicted by God. And she said, you know what? Help me confront myself whenever I lie. And I'm doing the best I can to catch myself. And she'll start telling you a story. And she'll say, that's not even true. That's not right. I just lied. Hey, thank God. You know, she realizes what's going on. And the desire is to heal. And we can easily say to people, you know what? I know he's not perfect. I know she's not perfect. But you should have seen him five years ago. You should have seen her ten years ago. You wouldn't even recognize what God's doing in that person's life. It's an incredible thing. Praise God for what's happening. See, those are the words of healing and not destruction. The words of destruction would be, yeah, you know what? I can't believe that she's a liar. I can't believe that he steals. I can't believe that he does. No, the words of healing are, you know what? Yeah, that's true. But God's dealing with him in his life, dealing with her in his life. 
And if we would help them and be accountable and to continue to love them and pray for them and support them and be available through this process, hey, God, all things become new with God. He can change a heart instantly. See, that's what we need, man. We need more of that stuff. Man, we don't need more daggers thrown at each other. We need to be people that want to heal. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes healing. Proverbs 12, 18. I like that. Number five. We also, if we're to control gossip, must hear all sides of the story. Man, I've got people that come to me, and you do too. And it's like this. You won't believe what my wife, you won't believe what my wife's like. You won't believe what my husband's like. Man, by the time they lay out this case, you go, man, what a jerk. You know what? And then you meet the husband. Then you meet the wife. And you find out, gee, that isn't quite the same perception that I'm getting. Listen to their side of this thing. You won't believe what my parents are like. Yeah, you won't believe what my kids are like. You won't believe what my, my boss is like. You won't believe what my partner's like. You know, they go through this whole thing. And the bottom line in Proverbs 18, 17 says, the first one to plead his case always seems right until his friend comes and examines him. Isn't that true? The first person to tell you a story always seems right. That's why we can't make snap decisions and judgments. We've got to listen to both sides of it so that we can be wise and seek the wisdom of God and be discerning and have understanding and seek to promote healing instead of dissension. And then maybe we have something to offer that can bring people back together. But how many people, when they're having marriage problems, go to someone and says, you're right, the guy's a jerk. I told you never to marry him. Whoa, that's real good counsel. How about, um, hey, you know what? Hey, there's some real good qualities about him. And then they go, what? And so you got to be careful what you say. You know, always know where you're heading with something. But the bottom line is you need to know all sides of the story. Every story, it's amazing to me, there's always like three sides. There's this person's side, there's that person's side, and then there's the truth somewhere in the middle. And good thing God knows what it is. God knows what the truth is. <clears throat> and sometimes you even have to ask, hey, what? you know what? Why am I even involved in this? You know what I mean? Why even involve in me? I'm not a marriage counselor. I can't help you. I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, you know, I love to listen. But if you're just going to slam your husband or your wife in front of me, uh, you know what? Let me give you a couple phone numbers of some people that that's what they do. They're, they're, they, they, they deal with stuff like this. Go to them. Because if you start sharing stuff with me, I may not like the person anymore. And I like them now. <clears throat> and I want to continue to like them. So get some help and don't distort my perception of them. So there are things that take place that we shouldn't share with one another. We need the wisdom to do that. You know, there are things that in our Rams Bible study that I'll never share with my wife because I don't want her to have a different perception of a person based on the struggles that they're going through in their life. I want her to be like she is, hospitable, loving people, accepting people as they are because if I tell her what's going on, it may change that gift that God has given her to where she may not want that person in her house. And we've got to be careful about that. We need to understand that there is a desire that we must know the truth. And there's also a desire to be careful. Careful. Listen to this, Proverbs 10.32. The lips of the righteous know what is appropriate or acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. I like that. The lips of the righteous know what is appropriate. The wisdom to know what to share, with whom to share it, why to share it. And the purpose is always to bring about healing and restoration, not destruction or dissension, nor factions. To know the appropriate thing to do. Some of us just like, well, just speak the truth. No, not necessarily. We're to speak the truth in love. There are some things that don't need to be shared. There are some things we need to understand that we need to be careful not to share. 
It's not appropriate to share. It has, it's not your business to know. It's not your business to know. If you have nothing to do with solving the problem, if you have nothing to do with the problems that are being caused, then you're uninvolved in it and it's not appropriate for you even to get involved in it. But the most important thing and the last thing is that we need to have a, a desire, a genuine desire to love one another. We have to have a genuine desire to love one another. In Leviticus 19, 15 through 18, listen to this. If you have the desire to love one another, you will stop backbiting, you will stop accusing, you will stop rumors, you will stop stories, you will stop gossip and slander and dissension and and disagreements and all the rest of it. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor honor the person of the mighty. But in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer or a gossiper among your people. Nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor, for I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. Jesus, on the night before his crucifixion, told his disciples, he said, A new commandment I give to you. It wasn't new in a sense of time because he was, he was sharing what had already been shared in Leviticus. It was a new commandment in the sense of freshness. He said, you know what? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. Past tense. And what he's saying to all of us is this. When you want to criticize and you want to condemn another person, you want to spread a story or a rumor, and whether it's true or not true, we need to realize this. A new or fresh commandment he gave us and that is that we love one another. Just as He loved us, speaking of the death on the cross. He said, I loved you enough to die for you. Remember the price that I paid. So the next time you want to be critical of someone, the next time you want to talk about someone behind their back, then you need to remember, and I need to remember, the price that was paid that we could be forgiven before God. If I see Jesus hanging on the cross and dying the brutal death that he died to forgive me of my sins. And I remember what he's done for me. It becomes very difficult to go out callously, blatantly, and do that which is harmful to another person. Be kind and tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. In closing, I want to read the lyrics of a song that I heard not too long ago, and I don't know anything about the gal who wrote it, and I don't know much about it, but I like the song. Her name is Angela Bofill, and she writes a song, and the lyrics of a song that she entitled Generate Love, this is what she writes. I know some people, no matter what you say, it's in their attitude, they sit and moan all day. I can't be wasting time, because time is all I really got. I'm thinking positive, and I can't deal with people that are not. They just bring you down, hit you when you turn around, stab them in the back, stab them in the back. They just haven't tried the other way, the other side. She says, generate love and the feeling will surround you. Generate love, it's not hard to do. Generate love and the people all around you. Generate love, they'll give it back to you. She said, no use complaining because opportunity, it don't come knocking, it don't come easily. I go for what I want, nobody's giving it away. Sometimes it just don't click, you can't be lucky every day. I don't sit around criticizing, tearing down everyone I know. No, that's not the way to go. That ain't no way to win. You only get what you put in. Generate love and the feeling will surround you. Generate love and it's not hard to do. Generate love and the people all around you. Generate love, they'll give it back to you. Now, I don't know anything about her belief system. I don't know anything about her as a person. 
But whether she knows it or not, that's some good theology. And we can't be wasting time because time is precious and time is short. And we need to be building one another up for the battle that we're in rather than destroying ourselves from within. God, help us to understand that. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this opportunity to uh, take a look at a problem that is more prevalent than we want to make believe that we understand. God, help us to be those who build one another up. Help us to be a family that nourishes and encourages and speaks well of one another and that is determined to heal the hurts that have taken place in relationships between one another. God, help us to have a strong desire to protect each other's reputations, not at the expense of truth because it's only truth that will set us free, but to protect one another in a world that is increasingly hostile towards us. God, help us have a strong desire to forgive when we're asked to forgive. And yet also understand that forgiveness is not something that comes cheaply, that forgiveness is found on the cross and the death that Christ died for us. God, help each one of us the next time we want to sin and take sin lightly to recognize the price that was paid for our forgiveness. God, help us to look up into the face of our Savior as He, as he died, bleeding on a cross, beaten and scourged and crowned with thorns and criticized by those who are around Him and ridiculed and mocked and stabbed in the thigh and beaten with, his, with fists. And God, help us to understand that grace is not cheap, but it came at a tremendous price. Help us also realize that we've been bought with that price and that it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives within us. God, help us to allow Him to live through us so that we can be a light and a salt to this world. God, help us in the way we conduct ourselves among one another to be a strong testimony of, of integrity before people who are looking for hope and looking for truth. God, we just thank you that you give us the power and the ability to do these things through the power of your Holy Spirit who resides in each of us who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we just thank you, ask us to do nothing that you don't give us the power and the ability to do and that as we allow you to, you can live through us. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.